traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. Seeking truth and justice in a battleground of deception and corruption, this is The Richard Serrett Show. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! We must not allow ourselves to be intimidated. Our task is not only to win the battle, but to win the war. Meaning we're not in Kansas anymore. Take a look at this country through her eyes if you really want to see something. You'll see the whole parade of what man's carved out for himself after centuries of fighting. Hey there. This is your mad prophet of the airwaves once again, and welcome to Radio Free Canada News Notes and Opinions from the Underground for Tuesday, July 26th in the year of our Lord 2022. com, Brand new website. Check it out. com. Just a, a quick shout out to all the snowflake bureaucrats and laptop elites living in Ottawa who were traumatized by the sound of trucks honking, who were suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder due to the presence of jumpy castles on Ottawa sidewalks and impromptu ball hockey games in the nation's capital. Oh, the horror of it all. So I can't imagine... How terrible that must have been for them back in February. Well, get ready. Because I have a very strong feeling all of that and more is going to be revisited upon you. This time it won't be the truckers. Well, there could be lots of truckers joining in in solidarity, hopefully. This time, this time it will be our farmers. 
And what is happening in the Netherlands and other places in Europe is going to be happening here. Because the insane, reckless Trudeau government is going to try and impose nitrogen caps on our farmers and emission caps on our farmers, which will reduce food production, which will force many of them out of business. And this will create even more inflation and more food shortages. It's quite apparent this government is hell-bent on destroying this country. They want us all poor and dependent upon the government. They want us all living in stacked housing, taking public transit, and eating bugs. This is not a government that cares about its people. This is not a government that honors this country or its values. This is a government under foreign influence. This is a government that is severely compromised. And they have lost all moral authority to govern. And so I hope and pray that tens of thousands of farmers and hundreds of thousands of Canadians joining in in solidarity descend on Ottawa with their tractors and their combines and their harvesters and their threshers and shut down that city. Trudeau, of course, will run for the hills. He'll suddenly come down with COVID for the fifth time. And so the sinister Bill Blair and mendacious Marco Mendicino and Deputy Dimwit Freeland will try and force tow truck drivers to haul away. Well, how would they? How, how would they tow a John Deere harvester? Good luck with that. And I dare the banks, the cowardly, sniveling banks in this country to try and freeze bank accounts again. There would be such a run on the banks. And I dare the thuggish cops in Ottawa to try and arrest our farmers. I'm thinking, I'm, I'm, I'm believing the level of support Canadians would have for their farmers would be incredible. And if I'm wrong about that, if I'm wrong about that, then this country is finished. If millions and millions of Canadians don't support our farmers on this, then we're done. Finito. But I don't think I'm wrong. I think there would be hundreds of millions of dollars donated to a give-send-go account to support the farmers were they to descend on Ottawa. I think it would bring the government down. And this has to happen. We're approaching an inflection point in this country's history. I thought the Freedom Convoy was going to be that inflection point. It turns out it was just the dress rehearsal. Just the beginning. The Freedom Convoy forced even the conservatives to wake up and start talking about ending mandates and talking about bodily autonomy. They wouldn't have started talking about it otherwise. They were silent for nearly two years. Pierre Polyev was silent for two years. So now, only now, because of the truckers, they're on the right side of history. Better late than never, I suppose. So the Freedom Convoy began the process of political realignment in this country. A massive farmers' protest might just complete that process. Bring it on. Can't come soon enough. Speaking of Pierre Polyev, he just received the endorsement of former Prime Minister Stephen Harper. Friends, fellow Conservatives, greetings. I haven't talked to you like this in a while, and much has transpired. 
Our party, once again, has a leadership race underway. In this particular race, there's been a lot of speculation about whom I support or do not support and why. So it may be useful for my fellow party members to hear my views straight from me. It's a strong field, but one candidate has garnered disproportionate attention. Pierre Poilievre was a strong minister in my government. In the past several years, he's been our party's most vocal and effective critic of the Trudeau Liberals. He's been talking about the issues, especially the economic issues, that matter. Slow growth, debt, inflation, lack of job and housing opportunities, and the need to fix the institutions that are failing Canadian families. He's proposing answers rooted in sound conservative ideas, the ones adapted for today's realities. That's why he has the strong support of our caucus and our existing membership, and why he is bringing the the most new members and a new generation into our party. That's how we win the next federal election. And in my opinion, Pierre has made by far the strongest case that he is the person to do that. I know. There you go. Simple question. Why does Polyev need Harper's endorsement? If he already has this race in the bag, supposedly. Just an honest question. And I'll discuss that later this hour with Daniel Boardman from the National Telegraph. Just about everything we've talked about on this program regarding COVID and the restrictions have turned out to be 100% correct. Multiple guests, experts on this program talking about the massive collateral damage from the lockdowns, particularly closing schools. Now this has been proven and accepted beyond a doubt. So now those who were in favor are desperately trying to rewrite history. I told you this would happen. I said over a year year ago, that you would see public health officials and politicians who were responsible for this disastrous, catastrophic policy blunder try and switch sides. So just the other day, Dr. Deborah Burks, who served as the White House Coronavirus Response Coordinator, came out and said, I knew the COVID vaccines wouldn't prevent infection or spread. I knew it. We overplayed the vaccines, she said. Seriously? You knew it? But anyone else who dared suggest it was canceled or worse, fired from the job. But you knew it. You knew it and said nothing. Meanwhile, tens of millions of Americans and Canadians were coerced into getting vaccinated. You get to say that and you keep your job. Why are you not in jail, you crazy lady? Now, here's Fauci. Fauci trying to rewrite history and get on the right side of history in the dying moments of the fourth quarter. There were authorities that made different decisions than the CDC's recommendations, for example, on school closures, and they did not see higher levels of child mortality when it comes to COVID. And meanwhile, the schools that did close down were now seeing just disastrous levels of learning loss among poor children, children of color, mental health crisis. I wonder if you would recommend locking down schools if you had to do it all over again. First of all, I didn't recommend locking anything down. You're you're asking me questions. You're talking about the CDC is the public health agency that uses their epidemiologists and their science-based approach to make recommendations. Clearly, whenever you close schools, there are collateral effects that are negative. I have always been well aware of that, and I have always felt, and you go back and look at my statements, that we need to do everything we can to keep the schools open and safe. Yeah, sure you did, Dr. Fauci. Fauci and Burke should both be in leg irons in a witness box in a federal court looking at serious time. 
So be on the lookout for more and more of the creeps who are responsible for the worst peacetime policy blunder in history trying to switch sides, to lie and tell you they knew or they were against. Don't let them. They must all be held accountable. And I believe there's a reckoning coming. Maybe not tomorrow or the next day, but it's coming. Don't ever forget who did this. Don't ever forget who is responsible. Don't ever forget. Uh, Yesterday, I spoke with John Wellham, CEO, president of Rocklink. We touched on ESG, environmental and social governance, basically Agenda 2030 and the Great Reset in action. An economist from the American Institute for Economic Research, Peter C. Earle, will be here to discuss ESG further. That's last order of business second hour. A massive victory for Alberta Pastor Arthur Pawlowski. Last week, the Alberta Court of Appeal handed him an absolute victory over the malicious prosecution from the Calgary police and a very vindictive Premier Jason Kenney. Pastor Pawlowski will be here to discuss also an hour two. Stateside, communist Chinese firms are buying up thousands of acres of farmland in the United States. What's that all about? Drew Allen, host of The Drew Allen Show, will be here to discuss, and Drew will also discuss how the Biden administration is shamelessly reinventing the technical definition of a recession so that they can then deny they're actually in a recession. This hour, Ruth Gaskowski, our homeschool advisor, will be here to discuss uh, something called the common arts. Daniel Boardman from the National Telegraph on former PM Harper's endorsement of Pierre Polyev, which you just heard. But first, let's get back to the farmers in Canada. God bless the farmers and why we may soon see farmers revolting, like I was talking about earlier. Anthony Fury from the Sun Papers is next. The Richard Serrett Show, off and running for Tuesday, July 26th. Facta non verba. We're back as The Richard Serrett Show continues on News Talk, Saga 960 AM. Are we about to see a farmer's revolt in this country like we are witnessing in Nether- in the Netherlands? Anthony Fury is a columnist and editor with the Sun Papers at Post Media. Anthony, welcome back to the program. How are you, my friend? Great to be here. How are you, Richard? Very well. So these regulations, uh, these uh, caps on nitrogen uh, and um uh, I guess nitrous oxide emissions and ammonia emissions that were that are being uh, basically forced down the farmers' throats in the Netherlands. Are these the same types of regulations that Trudeau and his cabinet are proposing for here in in Canada? They are very similar. Yes, what's being protested in the Netherlands is a slightly different policy, but it still has to do with regulating uh, the activity and the productivity of farmers in the name of fighting climate change. What we have here in Canada is that by 2030, we must reduce our fertilizer usage, pardon me, our emissions from fertilizer usage, which farmers say just basically means reducing fertilizer usage by 30%. It all sounds kind of like boring and technical and something that should be in the trade publications for agriculture agricultural experts to talk about. But Richard, this has to do with kind of the very fabric of our daily lives, how we fuel our modern society. Aren't the farmers already paying, you know, they're already paying a carbon tax on diesel and all of this. Aren't they already doing their part? Yeah, farmers pay a carbon tax. Also, Canadian farmers pay a tariff 
put on fertilizers from Russia. And as we've learned recently, the reason why uh, the war in Ukraine uh, is involving famine and food crisis issues in Africa is because Ukraine and, and Russia uh, do a lot to support uh, the global food supply chain, and we get a lot of fertilizer from Russia. So they're already facing a steep tariff on that. And we are the only major nation, actually, that decided to do that tariff because it is very damaging uh, to to our ability to produce food, both domestically and for those around the world we sell our food to. So we have that. Uh, we have the carbon tax that farmers are dealing with. Farmers are, of course, dealing with all the other inflationary pressures that regular consumers are as well. And now we have this, which I, I guess you could call a second or, well, there's already a second carbon tax coming along. You could almost call it something of a triplicate carbon tax that applies only to farmers. So yet another added burden. So I guess if the farmers wanted to to pay less of this, as you, as you, I think, rightfully called it a third carbon tax, they would lose or they would use then less fertilizer. But if they use less fertilizer, that means f- less yield. That means less revenue coming in. Uh, that means uh, potentially farmers going out of business, food shortages, uh, which would cost, you know, which would potentially cause food prices to rise even more. I mean, this is just a lose, 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 lose right across the board. Yeah, it's very interesting to study the history of fertilizer usage, its expansion, and what it's meant for us getting out of a subsistence society as we did pre-industrial revolution and be able to have a society where there are uh, billions of people in the world and that we're able to feed them. And fertilizers play such a huge role in that, in our ability uh, to mass produce food in the way we're doing. And if you start saying you've got to curtail fertilizer by 30%, well, a lot of farmers say you're basically saying you need to curtail farm production by 30%, which means you need to curtail the global food supply by 30%. That's a problem. So is there one particular sector of of uh, agriculture that would be more affected than another? Let's say uh, beef farmers, or is it going to be the dairy farmers? Is it going to be the wheat farmers? Will they all be affected equally? What are your thoughts? I can't say. I understand that canola will be really hit by this, um, but basically all farmers will have to play a role in this because it's synthetic fertilizers that are the target, and that basically means anything that's non-organic. In Sri Lanka, they outlawed synthetic uh, fertilizers, any fertilizers that weren't organic. And, well, the other week, uh, Sri Lanka's president and prime minister fled, resigned. Their currency has been destabilized. Amnesty International is is putting out calls begging uh, the military in Sri Lanka to not uh, mass harm and murder their own people because of the protests that are happening. I I. I chuckle. I'm not chuckling. I'm just aghast at the, the scenario that's happening. Uh, this isn't the solitary thing that caused all of this strife, but uh, it was something that definitely pushed them over the edge. And they are dealing with a lot of the uh, post-pandemic challenges that well, we're dealing with here in Canada. So I, I don't know why anyone would willfully bring this in now. I mean, I think it's a bad idea in general, but I don't know why you bring it in, especially now, and especially when you've seen what's happening in Sri Lanka and what's happening in the Netherlands, where it's not working out well. Anthony, we'll take a quick time out. We'll come back and discuss this most important issue. Anthony Fury, columnist, editor with the Sun Papers at Post Media. Back with more of our conversation in about two minutes. Don't go away. Let's get back at it on Newstalk Saga 960 AM. It's the Richard Serra Show. Anthony Fury, Sun Papers columnist, editor 
We're talking about the possibility of a, a farmer's revolt in Canada that would mirror what's happening in the Netherlands. Uh, and before we get to that and whether that's a likelihood, you, you also point out in your article, Anthony, that uh, Canadian farmers are already uh, you know, world leaders in terms of their stewardship of the land and, and, and the way that they, they're using fertilizer. Yeah, one of the sources that I interview in my latest column is a former chief of staff to Ontario Liberal Agriculture Minister, someone uh, who worked in the Dalton McGuinty and Kathleen Wynne government. So, you know, definitely people who are just looking at the lay of the land and, and what's really going on and talking honestly about it. And I know one of the things that's frustrating the farming community is there's zero consultations. This just seems to be some idea that Justin Trudeau and Stephen Guilbeau heard about, talked about with their pals on the global cocktail circuit, where they're just always so excited about any any wacky new uh, carbon tax, climate change policy they can bring in. They didn't consult with industry. And um, the emissions from synthetic fertilizers make up about 2% of Canada's total emissions. And we know Canada only makes up 1.5% of the world's total emissions. And I guess they've said, great, let's obsessively target this 2% and bring it down by 30% for for whatever reason. These odd targets that they just uh, kind of make up randomly with random numbers. And, And they didn't, I think, really look at the industry and what the industry does. Farmers have something that they call 4R stewardship, which means basically they've come up with best practices in the past number of years and decades to make sure they don't use more fertilizer than they need because fertilizer is expensive. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. Selling your car to Carvana is as easy as... As easy as pie? Sure. All you have to do is enter your license plate or VIN. As easy as a stroll in the park. Okay. Then just answer a few questions and you'll get a real offer in seconds. As easy as singing. Why not? Schedule a pickup or drop-off and Carvana will pay you that amount right on the spot. As easy as playing guitar. Actually, I find that kind of difficult. But selling your car to Carvana is as easy as... Can be. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to get an instant offer today. So they want to reduce their fertilizer usage anyway. So it's it's pretty lean. And because their fertilizer usage is so lean, if you cut fertilizer usage by 30%, you're cutting food production by 30%. Precisely. Uh, so how likely? I mean, last week, as you point out again in, in your article, uh, that there were some farmers that were protesting in solidarity with the Dutch farmers. But now that these policies are going to be enacted here in Canada, how likely do you think, and this is, I'm asking you to obviously speculate, but that, I mean, is there the mood for it, I guess, is really the question for farmers, 
<clears throat> to start blocking highways to, you know, to take their international harvesters and their threshers and their combines right into Ottawa and really raise a stink and, and uh, to the level that they're doing in the Netherlands. Could that happen in Canada? Well, we know across the political spectrum, there are professional protesters, people who always show up at any event because it's it's easy for them. It's a habit. It's convenient for them. And maybe they don't have much else going on in their lives. Farmers are the exact opposite because it ain't easy to get a tractor from your farm to a city. And also, we know their schedules are very tight. Um, they, they don't have the time to take this machinery off the land for great periods of time. So, all I will say is that if they are doing these things in large number, there's clearly a great incentive for them to do it. They're clearly, they've clearly reflected on it a great deal, and the passions are very authentic and coming from a legitimate place where the trade-offs of doing this make it worthwhile. And I do anticipate we will see uh, a bit more activism soon. Right. I guess the incentive would would be their livelihoods, their very way of life. Exactly. He's on the Talking line. Down yeah, exactly. Wow. And to send a message to Canadians, Richard, because, I mean, the more I reflect on this, I go, wow, this is actually the craziest idea Justin Trudeau has ever had. It seems like this kind of boring, oh, fertilizer regulation, who cares? What does it have to do with my life? It has everything to do with our lives. And it just seems so excessive. And it can so easily cause this sort of carnage that we're seeing in, in, in the Netherlands or, or Sri Lanka is an extreme example, but you can certainly head in that direction a little bit. And I, I find it, I, I don't know. I mean, they're, they seem committed to it, but it seems like a wild thing to do. Well, uh, yeah, uh, but, you know, desperate, desperate uh, times sometimes require desperate measures. And that's the question. Will they feel that desperation? Are they that desperate? And we all have a vested interest, uh, you know, to to uh, um, uh, rally with the farmers because it's it's going to affect us as well down the line. You know, our food supply, our ability to put food on the table, our, our ability to pay for nutritious food uh, is, is is all wrapped up in this. So uh, we all have a vested interest. Anthony, thank you so much for your time as always. Great work as always. Thank you. Have a good one. Anthony Fury, Sun Papers columnist and editor. All right. When we come back, we're going to talk about Harper's endorsement of Pierre Polyev. Friends, fellow conservatives, greetings. I haven't talked to you like this in a while, and much has transpired. Our party, once again, has a leadership race underway. In this particular race, there's been a lot of speculation about whom I support or do not support and why. So it may be useful for my fellow party members to hear my views straight from me. It's a strong field, but one candidate has garnered disproportionate attention. Pierre Poiliev was a strong minister in my government. In the past several years, he's been our party's most vocal and effective critic of the Trudeau Liberals. He's been talking about the issues, especially the economic issues, that matter. Slow growth, debt, inflation, lack of job and housing opportunities, and the need to fix the institutions that are failing Canadian families. He's All right. When we come back, Daniel Boardman, senior contributor, National Telegraph, will be here to discuss. Stay with us. You're listening to The Richard Serrett Show on Newstalk Saga, 960 AM. Welcome back. So the former premier or prime minister, rather, Stephen Harper, has come out and endorsed Pierre Polyev for leader of the CPC. 
Why did he choose to do that? Why now? Our good friend Daniel Boardman, senior contributor for the National Telegraph, has some ideas. I'm quite confident. Daniel, welcome back. How are you, buddy? Doing well. I got two ideas. All right. You hit it right. Multiple. Uh, I mean, the first explanation is probably the one you'll hear most coming at you from the TV, which is they'll say, you know, actually, the race is a lot closer than you think. So Polyev needed to endorse. I'm sorry. Harper needed to endorse Polyev to help him out because he's actually not as popular as you think. And that's probably the Globe and Mail interpretation in crazy left circles like the Toronto Star. You might get the additional um, conspiracy theory, which is Stephen Harper still controls the conservative party. Everyone who doesn't vote for Justin Trudeau has an implant in their brain that Stephen Harper pushes the button and tells you what to do. <laughs> um, you know, these same people will say you're insane for saying Klaus Schwab controls. But this is the, a socially acceptable conspiracy theory. So that's explanation number one. And that may be it. Explanation number two, which I think is more likely, is Harper sort of read the tea leaves, said, OK, this is going to be Polyev's race. He's got it. I'm going to endorse him before it's over to calm the waters and cut them off at the pass when they try and say, Polyev is crazy. He's far right. He's out there. He's anti-establishment. He's this. Because if Stephen Harper endorses him after the race, it's like, well, he, it's him or Trudeau. He had to. But for a lot of, you know, I don't think this matters to, you know, the farmer in Saskatchewan who's going to vote anyway and isn't listening. But to the sort of, um, you know, the urbanite uh, anti-Trudeau, sometimes conservative voter who the TV says, Polyev, big, scary, bad guy, um, very far right and is incredibly liberal immigration policy, very far right. The alt-right plan to let a bunch of immigrants into the country for skilled labor. Um, they then go, OK, if, if Harper endorsed him. He's more establishment. He's less out there. This right. it, it, it really hurts the, oh, my God, it's Candace Donald Trump. Uh, so Harper is trying to unite the party, in other words. I think he's trying to unite the party and really undercut the the narrative against Polyev. I, I think Parley, he's read the tea leaves. Polyev's going to win this thing. It's best for, especially if there's an election coming up this year, which liberals are acting like there's going to be one, um, then it's best to sort of, put a new face on the party in Polyev so people can get used to it and also undercut this. Right. Um, he's a crazy guy notion. What, what about, I mean, is it possible, Daniel, it goes deeper than that. Could there be some enmity on the, on the part of uh, uh, Harper for um, Jean Charest? He just, he doesn't like the guy. That could be, that could, that could be, I mean, it, it's very possible that he's like, I don't like Jean Charest. I don't like the ghost of Patrick Brown, which I don't think anyone does outside of the Tamil Tigers. Um, you know, I'm sure he doesn't know less than Lewis at all because she was not in the party beforehand. And, and he might, you know, OK, she's, you know, non-offensive, I guess, to, to any conservative. I mean, she's yelling at the World Economic Forum sometimes. Um, but, I, yeah, I, I do think if you're Stephen Harper, if you looked at how Stephen Harper governed his values um, who would he pick for the party? I think he's most happy with a Polyev type. You could say maybe he, he probably even likes Scott Edgenson and knows him, but I, Harper has an IQ above 12, which he knows Scott Edgenson is not a factor in the race. And he, Roman Babber, you know, he was great what he said on COVID, but he's not a factor for leadership. It's uh, right now it's uh, Sheree and Polyev. Um, and with like a, you know, a bronze medal to Les and Lewis, this is what we're dealing with. Right. I mean, I should 
not backtrack, but it, it may not be personal with Harper in terms of Sheree. He may not have enmity towards him, but he just doesn't believe for a moment that he's a conservative. And that's not the direction Harper wants for his party. Yeah, that's another thing. I mean, Harper Harper was part of uniting the conservatives, but he was from the, uh, you know, the, the right wing branch of the conservative party. Um, and I, th- I think I think or I think Harper's read the tea also and said, um, if Sheree gets in, there's a potential to schism the party um, fully because there's so many people who are fed up. Um, you know, they didn't want the Aaron O'Toole, Peter McKay thing. I mean, this was why Lesson Lewis was so popular in 2020 is she was the, okay, there's an actual kind of conservative person running. Let's try and throw a Hal Mary and hope we get a conservative. So I think Harper is right in saying, maybe it's a a combination of everything we've talked about is, you know, I think John Charest will schism the party and bring us minimal support from Toronto urbanites. I've, we've discussed this theory before. And then, you know, there's also the sort of like, I'm going to make Polyev look, you know, less, you know, out there, crazy, fringy, which uh, they're trying to paint him as um, by just putting my arm around him and saying, Hey, you know, people who are, you know, a bit worried about Trump hysteria, you're still suffering from Trump derangement syndrome. Don't worry. He, he he's fine. He's, he's, you know, he's part of uh, the the reasonable conservative coalition. Let me just get a quick reaction from you. An Angus Reid Institute poll says that Sheree has the edge in Ontario um, over consider, uh, over uh, Polyev. In other words, uh, Sheree versus Trudeau. Uh, he, Sheree, they, they're picking Sheree over Trudeau versus Polyev over. Is that just because of the Toronto riding, which is obviously very liberal, do you think? I think so now. I also think we haven't seen Pierre like really expose himself uh, to to the general population. And it's also one poll. I mean, every other poll that's come out has said Polyev actually outperformed Charest. So this is this is the outlier poll. Um, You know, who are they polling? I mean, polling, I think Angus Reid tends to poll more among um, the elderly, uh, which, you know, they're not getting his, you know, Twitter videos and whatever. Jean Charest is a name they, they're more likely to recognize. So you get the name recognition bonus. So I discount that as it is an outlier. Um, I, I, I still subscribe to the theory that once Polyev uh, starts doing conservative things in a positive way and making the case, um, I think he's going to vastly outperform um, O'Toole and, and Scheer um, in, in the GTA uh, because they both sort of did the sort of, I know conservatives are evil, but I'm one of the good ones, which is a terrible um, campaign strategy. Whereas Polyev is going to do the conservatism is awesome and it's great and you're going to like it because it's going to be better for you, which is always a much better straddling strategy. Um, you think? <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> well put, sir. Daniel Boardman, senior contributor for The National Telegraph. TheNationalTelegraph.com. Please support independent media. TheNationalTelegraph.com. Daniel, thank you as always. Thanks so much for having me. All right. Have a great rest of the week. All right. All right when we come back, the homeschool advisor, Ruth Gaskowski, will tell us about something called the common arts. Stay tuned. Back to the conversation on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. The Homeschool Advisor on The Richard Serrett Show. All right, welcome back. The liberal arts do not uh, guarantee alone human flourishing. We have to uh, eat, we have to heal, we have to defend ourselves, trade, build, find our way around, and more. And so there is a, an increasing understanding and recognition that something called the common arts 
must be an integral part of our education, including homeschool education. Ruth Gaskowski is our homeschool advisor and the founder of HumanitasFamily.net. Ruth, welcome back. Thanks for having me, Richard. My pleasure. Last week we talked about raising chickens, which is a wonderful, uh, whether you're homeschooling or not, it's wonderful to have a few uh, chickens in the backyard, uh, you know, to... uh, to produce some eggs and so forth, but it's also a, a wonderful learning experience uh, for for children. Today, we're going to talk about the classical tradition of the common arts. What are common arts, or what is common arts education? Well, common arts um, is what really has formed uh, the rhythm of home and hearth around the world for millennia. So it's actually always been there. We've just forgotten. So these are skills which were generally the first thing that a child would be taught at home. And they were also the last uh, that remained that an elderly family member could contribute. So these would include uh, very practical elements such as agriculture, architecture, tailoring, weaving, metalworking, woodworking, I can go on, including hunting, cooking, medicine. So just basic skills that, for example, our grandparents would likely still have been very familiar and versed in many of these common arts. But this familiarity has sort of waned with each generation and the gap between what we are able to do and uh, what we outsource to others to do for us now is is widening every year. So, you know, I might still be able to, uh, you know, fix some clothing and stitch clothing and I still knit, uh, but I have to make sure my daughter still remembers it because um, fewer and fewer of, of the new generation actually know how to do any of these things. And I think the pandemic over the last two years has really served as a catalyst for people to seek out the common arts again in earnest. So how did we we lose it? How did the common arts get lost in in our public education system? Yeah, it's actually interesting to look a bit back at the history because um, it used to be part of everybody's life. So how did it get lost? So it was really around uh, the end of the 1800s when um, kind of the end of Industrial Revolution and the start of the Electrical Age when there was a division in the public education system between white collar and blue collar tracks. And the blue collar tracks is what became known as the trades because you traded your skill for an income. And that's when this outsourcing of skills really started, uh, which used to be part of everybody's basic education. Um, then the space race came and uh, lots of emphasis on math and science. And over the last decade, we've had a lot of emphasis on STEM and coding and computer skills. And more recently, we have a lot of political ideologies along with this individualized, prescriptive sort of therapeutic education, which has taken up space. So the common arts naturally kind of fell victim to all of these developments because it takes time to develop them. And they're not easily squeezed into a school day. And also, they don't help to get you into university, and it's not something that school boards can kind of parade around. Um, And I think classical education, in part, has been a response to these trends because uh, classical curriculum isn't thrown about by kind of the current trends or psychological fads or political ideologies, and it's really kind of grown into a movement to sort of restore and reclaim education, including common arts education. And... uh what do you th- why do you think uh, common arts uh, are necessary for students? 
Yeah, I'll refer here to this book that was just published uh, last year, actually, amid the pandemic by uh, an educator called Christopher Hall. And he relates here some situations he had experienced. One is a situation in an inner city school with third grade students who were puzzled about how tomatoes can grow under the plastic of styrofoam trays or who did not know that chickens were birds or that wood came from trees. Now, those were students in an underprivileged neighborhood. Uh, A decade later, he had students in an Ivy League school um, who really had lacked no goods and no opportunities at all. But these, uh, so so they were very versed in all the kind of tablets and apps to develop plans and flowcharts and all kinds of things. Very intelligent students, but yet they were afraid to cut with scissors and they couldn't cut with scissors in straight lines. They couldn't tie knots. (laughs) So it really kind of struck him that even though these students came from very different backgrounds, they were both of these groups were really impoverished because they did not have experience with basic living in the world. And he really wondered, well, how are students to reason when they lack just an interaction with reality around them? And how really can you be free and um, kind of, you know, succeed in life when you really lack the necessary skills for survival and you have to outsource everything to businesses. So when the skills of the hands are made scarce, really all of education suffers. This, the skills of the hand, I like that. I like that. Um, you're currently working on a series of skills workshops for kids. Yes, and it's, it's, it's hit upon an amazing amount of interest because we kind of realized we do need these skills. And, and again, because of the pandemic, it's kind of come to the forefront. So we're currently kind of um, getting parents together who have these skills. So we have a parent who uh, took, for example, a ham radio license who will be teaching a, a course in uh, ham radio. Uh, We have another parent who is a natural herbalist who has a herbal farm and will be teaching a session on um, medicine and herbs and how to gather herbs and recognize herbs and how to distill herbs. Uh, We'll have a gardening session as well. uh, We have a very experienced hunter who will be introducing students to uh, a basic uh, firearms course. So... um, firearm safety and all those things. So um, there's there's lots of uh, interest from people to develop these skills, and we're going to be creating this over the summer and the fall just with resources that we actually already have because there are a lot of people who can share this information and these skills with others. Fantastic. And um, we can look for more of that information at humanitasfamily.net, humanitasfamily.net. We'll pick it up next week uh, on the same theme, Ruth, and we'll talk about how uh, to reintroduce the the skills of the hand, the common arts to our children, uh, whether they're homeschooled or not. Great work as always. Appreciate it. Thank you. Hey, thank you, Richard. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Ruth Gaskowski, HumanitasFamily.net. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. 
The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. Are you ready for a rewarding career in the electrical industry? Quality Electric of the Coastal Carolinas, QECC, is looking for qualified electricians and electrical helpers to join its Charleston team. QECC offers guaranteed full-time hours, make up to $30 per hour with possible performance bonuses and career growth opportunities. Enjoy benefits like health insurance, dental and vision coverage, 401k plans, and more. If you're a motivated, experienced electrician, this job is for you. QECC is an equal opportunity employer. For all job inquiries, send email to hr at qeccinc.com. All right. Hour two awaits. Peter C. Earle, an economist with the American Institute for Economic Research, will be here last order of business in hour two to to, uh, explain what ESG is. This is environmental social governance and why it's destroying economies. Also, Pastor Artur Pawlowski from the Street Church in Calgary won a huge, a massive victory with an Alberta appeal court uh, last week, uh, basically overturning. Um, all of the um, the charges against him and um, really destroying this whole narrative that was part of the malicious prosecution from uh, the, the Alberta government, particularly the premier. And uh, Drew Allen will be here, conservative commentator, blogger, host of The Drew Allen Show. We'll talk about uh, Biden's desperate attempt to redefine recession, the re- uh, what, what a recession is, and also... Uh, why we should be concerned about communist Chinese firms buying all sorts of agricultural land in the United States near military bases, no less. Hour two awaits. Don't go away. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. Seeking truth and justice in a battleground of deception and corruption, this is The Richard Serrett Show. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as mad as hell and I'm not going to take this anymore! We must not allow ourselves to be intimidated. Our task is not only to win the battle, but to win the war. Meaning we're not in Kansas anymore. Take a look at this country through her eyes if you really want to see something. You'll see the whole parade of what man's carved out for himself after centuries of fighting. You're out of order! You're out of order! The whole trial is out of order! You have meddled with the primal forces of nature! And you will Hey, welcome to Hour 2. If you missed Hour 1, for shame, for shame, you missed a lot. But that's okay, that's alright. Still lots of great programming coming your way in Hour 2. Just a reminder, brand new website, therichardserrettshow.com. Check it out, therichardserrettshow.com. Coming up later this hour, we'll uh, drill down on ESG 
environmental social governance, or sometimes referred to as environmental social corporate governance. This is basically Agenda 2030 and the Great Reset finding its way into corporate boardrooms. This is how ESG, or um, I suppose how the Great Reset is weaponizing the corporate world. So if they don't tick all the boxes, the corporations won't get, they won't get their business loans and so forth. The banks won't play ball with them. This is how they're going to enact the Great Reset in North America. So Peter C. Earle is an economist with the American Institute for Economic Research, and he'll talk to us about ESG and how it's already destroying economies, like Sri Lanka, for example. Uh, Pastor Arthur Pawlowski will be here from the Street Church in Calgary, winning a massive victory last week in the uh, Alberta Court of Appeals. This hour, our good friend, conservative commentator, blogger, host of the Drew Allen Show, Drew Allen uh, is here. A little bit later, we'll talk about the Biden administration's uh, embarrassing attempt to redefine or give a, a new technical definition for what recession is, all uh, in order to avoid admitting that they're now in a recession. We're in a recession, folks. Everyone knows it. But first, back in, uh, in 2019, there was a report from the U.S. Department of Agriculture that revealed that communist China owns, get this, at least 192,000 acres of U.S. agricultural land worth more than $1.9 billion. More recently, China's agricultural footprint in America just got a little bit bigger. This month, an organization called Fufang Group, which is a corn milling company, purchased 300 acres of land in the Midwest farmlands of Grand Forks, North Dakota. More importantly, though, they've decided to set up shop only 20 minutes from the Grand Forks Air Force Base, which happens to be where the nation's t- most top-secret drone information is kept. Hey, Drew, welcome back to the program. How are you, my friend? Hey, Richard, great to be with you. Another day, uh, another mess to clean up, right? Oh, I'll say, I'll say. Uh, so what's going on with uh, China gobbling up all of this um, agricultural land? I mean, it makes sense. They've got a, a huge population they need to feed. Uh, but but now encroaching on U.S. military installations? Yeah, yeah. You know what? You know, as we get into this subject, you know, I would say shame on uh, the United States of America um, for indulging this. You know, we, we have we have basically created the monster that is China. And I apologize to the entire world for it, because, you know, uh, without us. Uh, uplifting them, propping them up, giving them our proprietary information, uh, they will be still be stuck in, in the Stone Ages. And so, you know, they didn't they didn't really steal anything from us. We sold it to them, just like we sold them, uh, you know, uh, technology and so on and so forth. And here we are selling them our, our farmland. And, and you're right. I mean, it should raise uh, more than an eyebrow, not just the fact that they're buying farmland, of course, that is scarce resources, right? I mean, resources that we need uh, for our own country and for North America and our friends. Uh, but now they're encroaching near uh, uh, bases. I mean, look, we, we know that the, the communist Chinese are, are no friends and allies of, of us, of, of Canadians, of anyone in the free world. We know that they want to supplant the United States of America 
uh, as the dominant um, sole superpower on on the planet. So so of course they're 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 up to no good with this. It's amazing that, that it's gone on this long, and and finally, you know, DeSantis I think really brought it to people's attention by addressing it and saying that he didn't think we should be doing this. I think he's exactly right. Would it be as simple as enacting a law that that uh, you know Chinese companies can't buy um, American agricultural land? Well, I mean, yeah, it, it gets it's a it's a difficult issue to address. You know, I mean, it's one thing if 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 you want to buy a home and have a vacation home here in the United States of America uh, or, or whatever it is is as a foreign resident. But I mean, I, I mean, I think I think that, that that some of that would would totally be appropriate. I mean. If you think of this through the lens of, of potential conflict, um, those types of measures are are put in place. Now, um, you know, you want to be ca- uh, cautious and careful about how, how you go about that. But I think this also comes down. I mean, look, I mean, why are these companies? We know that they're they're associated with a communist Chinese government. Uh, that's the first problem. These aren't just, you know, people looking to, to, to make a buck. I mean, they have ties to to the communist Chinese that, that utilize these companies uh, to infiltrate us, you know, I mean, we have spies here, obviously, uh, ask Eric Swalwell. Uh, and we have these Confucius Institutes, you know, that have been at our universities um, um, that are intended to indoctrinate, um, uh, you know, young American minds. So, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the, these companies, uh, they should be vetted. Uh, there should be a process uh, through which, you know, they have to go through very, very stringent approval if this is going to take place. Um, uh, but, but, you know, those conversations need to be had because this is, this is going to be a threat down the road. And, and, you know, you were leading into talking about, you know, the great reset. Well, part of that is creating scarcity of resources. Um, so that the, the, what, you know, the citizens around the globe, um, are, are suffering and can't get out of those problems without the government. The government wants to exercise control. I mean, in Europe right now, you know, they're going to start, um, uh, uh, limiting and telling people how much gasoline and, and so on and so forth they can use. So, uh, yeah, we need to we need to get on this now. Well, it's it's one thing you know for communist Chinese uh, companies to be buying up agricultural land, but it's another matter entirely for them to be buying them in very close proximity, as uh, you know, to these U.S. military installations. Uh, I mean, has the has the Pentagon? Uh, raised an eyebrow over this? No, no, of course not. They're they're trying to, um, uh, you know, increase the number of uh, transgender recruits in the military. You know, um, uh, they're not they're not focused at all on, on the actual you know threats to this nation. Uh, they're they're too busy um, you know making our, our soldiers uh, uh, soft through indoctrination. That, that's what's astounding about this. I mean, they they seem to to they could care less. It seems. Right. Um, the other thing I was I was reading is that, um, you know, f- farmers get farm subsidies and there's no law actually that would prevent uh, this this corn milling company, this, uh, you know, controlled by the communist Chinese in America from receiving a taxpayer farm subsidy. I mean, just talk about, you know, adding insult to injury. Oh, I mean, isn't that nuts? I mean, um, uh, but you know, is is it shocking? I mean, look, look at look at what this administration's currently done, and obviously we're talking about things that go beyond even just this administration. But you know, we we're, we're entering a recession here, and you know, uh, we have uh, the 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 cartels uh, are making a windfall. You know, while while the economy is a bust for Americans, it's a it's a boom for uh, cartels and smugglers who uh, they've turned that into a billion dollar industry. 
So at, at every step of the way, we seem to be aiding and abetting our, our enemies and, and, and intruders to this nation and um, um, harming the American people and making people suffer here. Drew Allen, conservative commentator, blogger, host of The Drew Allen Show, and you can uh, subscribe and also read his uh, articles at drewallen.substack.com. Drew Allen, D-R-E-W-A-L-L-E-N, drewallen.substack.com. When we come back, uh, we're going to talk about how the uh, Biden administration has um, created a new technical definition for recession uh, the old one, uh, which has been used for, I guess, hundreds and hundreds of years, said if you had two consecutive quarters of negative growth, that was a recession. Well, now that America is in a recession, the Biden administration has cleverly decided to change the definition. We'll discuss that on the other side. Drew Allen stays with us. Don't go away. Welcome back to the Richard Serrett Show on News Talk, Saga 960 AM. So the last 10 periods in which there were two consecutive quarters of economic contractions came during the recessions of 1949, 1953, 58, 70, 74, 82, 91, 2001, 2008, and 2020. Now, some of these recessions were short, some mild, others were brutal, but they all have one thing in common. They were all recessions, every single one. So we've just had two Actually, three consecutive quarters of contraction in the U.S. economy. So what does the Biden administration do? They change the definition of recession. Oh, we're not in one. It doesn't meet the uh, the standard. Uh, Drew Allen is with us, conservative commentator, blogger, host of the Drew Allen Show, drewallen.substack.com. Drew, what do you make of this? Well, I, I guess the only thing that's surprising to me is that he didn't blame the recession on Vladimir Putin. You know, uh, inflation was Putin's fault. Gas prices were Putin's fault. I guess they finally wised up and figured that strategy wasn't working. So then, now they went to the next step, which is complete denialism, right? And think about this, too. This is an administration which would uh, d- redefine recession rather than change direction, Right. Uh, which tells you that, you know, this is all part of their plan. They're just trying to hide behind it and outright lie. But somebody needs to tell these Democrats in America that uh, George Orwell's 1984 is not a a manual by which to to run the government. It's actually a warning. It's a condemnation. Uh, You know, this is what's going on. You know, Uh, you know, uh, what is a woman? Uh, We can't answer that anymore. Uh, You know, it's like war is peace. Uh, You know, uh, uh, freedom is, is censorship. Uh, and so on and so forth. I mean, this is really an assault on the truth. And it gets into a bigger concept because, you know, these authoritarian regimes, they mess with the language, right? You know, when we have clear definitions, you know, we we need that for stability, right? To be able to communicate with one another, to have understanding, to make sense of the world. And, you know, just like in 1984, they create contradictions, uh, they lie, and they attack the truth so that hopefully... Uh, you know, the citizenry will just believe whatever they're told by the authoritarians because they're, they're you know, they say two plus two equals five. Uh, and, and that's what's happening here. It's very disruptive. And frankly, it's just, uh, you know, I mean, th- th- this really is. I've seen it said this is, like you know, Soviet style propaganda. It, it really is. And when you think it couldn't get worse, here we go. Right. Well, uh, I mean, I guess the question is, are, are they going to get away with it? Because they're they're heading into the midterms. And obviously this is about 
the midterms. They, they, you don't want to go into the midterms during a recession and things are already bleak enough uh, for the Dems. Everyone seems to be predicting a red tsunami in the House and in the Senate uh, and even at you know, the state level and so forth. Uh, is that what this is all about? They're just um, they're just trying to hold on until they uh, until the, the midterms, and will they get away with it? Yeah, I, I, I do not think they're going to get away with it. I think this will just go, um, you know, uh, into the grave with everything else they've tried that it has failed to move the needle in their favor. But you're exactly right. I mean, the reason they're doing this, it's desperate because you know they're going into midterms and they don't want to be the re- the party of recession, right? A recession president. Um, so now they've resorted to outright lying, changing the definition to tell us, you know, a recession isn't a recession. Um, and, 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 you know, here, the, the, the thing is, of course, the only thing that could save them is if they would change their policies and act policies that were actually going to start to repair the economy. Um, but they're not, they're taking America off a cliff, uh, and most of the, the, the developed world with it. And, uh, they just choose to, to, you know, lie about what's happening. You know, it's, uh, you know, you know, I, I lowered gas prices six cents. You know, forget the fact that it's double the price it was when I came into office. But you know, enjoy that six cents. You know, I'm really working <laughs> for the American people. Right. I, I I think you're right. I don't think they'll be able to escape this one. There's what's that old saying? You can't talk. You can't talk up a bad economy. Uh, just the way you know, you can't talk down a good economy. People know they they experience it every day if it's a good economy or bad. But they know they're in a recession. Speaking of uh, uh, Biden and uh, now it seems like the um, the left wing media has turned on him. I saw recently Washington Post ran an op ed piece uh, uh, titled "Quit Joe Quit." Nobody wants him to run in 2024, including the left-wing media. It's 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 over for Joe, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, they, they just, you know, they, they're worried about the midterms right now, so they haven't completely turned on him yet. Uh, but I, I had a piece in American Greatness out today, and, you know, it, it was discussing this very thing about how, you know, even, even the, the media is taking notice. You know, Joe Biden got back from his Middle East trip, and uh, he took two days off of work, Monday and Tuesday, nothing on the schedule, which is unprecedented even for uh, the president in the United States who has the lowest expectations of him of any president in American history. And they ask questions, of course, and, and they, 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 they're ensuring us, you know, oh, yes, he's working very hard just because his schedule is blank. And, and then all of a sudden he has COVID, which I think is questionable. Regardless, it doesn't change anything. He didn't work when he had COVID. And uh, he was, he was you, know, uh, uh, you know, incapacitated before. Um, but, but yeah, the, the media is absolutely, they're starting to ask questions, turn on them, because, you know, look, at some point, you've got to start thinking about yourself and your own survival. And uh, these Democrats aren't going to go down with a ship uh, that he's helming. They're going to mutiny and throw him overboard to try and save themselves. Drew Allen, drewallen.substack.com. Check out his uh, podcast, The Drew Allen Show. Drew, always a pleasure. Thank you, my friend. Hey, thank you. Good to be with you. You too. We'll talk again soon. All right, when we come back, Pastor Archer Pawlowski, a massive victory after uh, getting uh, a ruling in his favor from the Alberta Court of Appeals. He joins us next. Don't go away. The Bull Session continues on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. All right, welcome back. Again, a massive victory for Pastor Archer Pawlowski of uh, Calgary last week, the Alberta Court of Appeal. Basically, um, tremendous vindication for Pastor Pawlowski, and he's here to tell us uh, more about it. Pastor, welcome and congratulations. Thank you so much for having me on your show. 
um, the last two years, you have um, you have been threatened, you have been assaulted, you have been incarcerated. I believe a total of fifty-one days. You have been denied basic civil liberties, access to a lawyer while in prison, access to water, forced to to sleep on a concrete floor. Um, you know, all for basically, you know, wanting to be left alone and in peace, to feed the homeless, uh, to, to preach to your congregation. How did it feel when the decision came down last week from the, the uh, Alberta Court of Appeal? Well, when I received a phone call from my lawyer, I just wanted to scream and yell, finally, finally, some sanity. Because telling you the truth, I almost give up. Uh, hope if it comes to our system. I mean, check and balances out the window, constitution out the window, charter rights and freedoms, fundamentally guaranteed rights out the window, criminal code of Canada out the window. All of them together in this conspiracy to hurt and destroy our, uh, our lives. And then the decision came on Friday. And I was shocked. I had to ask my lawyer multiple times just to, I didn't want to believe it because you see, I am a man of faith. I believe in God. But during the two and a half years, I started losing hope in the system. And she says, total vindication. I said, what, what about David, my brother, that was subjected to the same cruelty? Uh, David off the hook as well. We're totally victorious in this appeal. Three judges unanimously decided that what was done to us was illegal. In fact, they said it was, uh, it was unnatural. It was against natural law. And, um, and I, I was shocked. They were ordered to give back our money that, as you know, uh, I was subjected to pay them a huge amounts of money. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. And then compelled speech straight from North Korea, Chinese style. Uh, every time I was speaking, I was ordered uh, to recite a party line and the fear of being arrested at any moment because I dared not to recite that order. It was following me wherever I went. Uh, every time the police officer would drive by, I was thinking, is this the day? Is this the hour? Uh, am I going to be handcuffed, dragged? and 
pushed around, shoved, uh, subjected to cruelty, physical, psychological, uh, you know, mental cruelty? Is this the day when they're going to throw a key and say, I am so dangerous, just like the Crown Prosecutor said that I am extremely dangerous, like a terrorist, if I'm going to be let out while disaster is going to happen, just like it's happening to Tamara Leach uh, right now as we speak. So uh, this was, it was a horror movie. It was a repetition of history for me because as you know and you can tell very quickly i grew up behind the iron curtain under the boots of the soviets so this decision is restoring a little bit of hope that not all is lost that there are still some good men and women in power that understand that there is understand the importance of law and order because if that goes we have just tyranny so so Throw it out, democracy. Throw it out, the Constitution, the Charter Rights and Freedoms and the Rule of Law, and just say, we're tyrants and we don't care about your rights. At least that would be fair. So um, a, a huge victory. This is the biggest victory so far against the COVID uh, tyranny in Canada. So I believe more will follow. I believe that two things I hope uh, this decision is going to, to do. First, it will send a message already did to the villains. Back off. You have not bought all of us. There's still some good judges, good police officers, good politicians, and we'll go after you if you don't stop this insanity. Also, I believe another message will go to the people like you and me that kind of were losing hope that you can stand against the giants of the land, against Goliaths and prevail. Because if God is for us, who can be against us? Greater is he that is in me than the one that is in them. And and people need that story. This is a very important story. Story that you can face all those tyrants head on collision, as you are, as I call it, and prevail. Because the truth in the end, the truth wins. We just have to persevere uh, through all this craziness. And I am very grateful to my friends, to my family, to my brother David, and also to my God that he has given us that strength to keep going, keep plowing, no matter what. I remember when I was in prison, we're going to pile more charges. We're going to do this and assaulting police officer, resisting arrest. Like they are liars. They're professional liars. And they said, we're going to say you're inciting people to riots in prison. And to see this decision. Wow. Finally. Praise God. Praise God, indeed. Uh, Pastor Archer Pawlowski uh, talking about his massive court of appeal victory. He's in Calgary. We'll uh, take a time out, come back and uh, discuss further. This is a, a huge victory, indeed. Back with more in a moment. Stay with us. Just having a little chin wag on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. Victory. For Pastor Archer Palowski in the uh, Alberta Court of Appeal last week, and um, uh, Pastor, are you you're still facing some charges? I believe under the uh, Alberta's Critical Infrastructure Defense Act. This is the an act that really sh- is designed to prevent or to go after terrorists who blow up pipelines. You were delivering prayers uh, down in, in in Coots, Alberta, when the truckers were there. Um, so you were charged under that. Are, are those? Are those uh, charges then likely to be lifted as a, as a result of this ruling by the appeal court? 
Well, I hope so. Everything started this um, this decision by Adam Germain and in partnership of John Rook and also Dave Ga- David Gates. Um, those three judges, the crooked judges of Alberta, I call them the three amigos. Um, that was the whole foundation for the Crown's uh, persecution and this uh, ongoing harassment, uh, me personally and the church. So when this house of cards crumbles or this foundation goes like it did on Friday. I think everything else will follow. However, you're right. I'm still on house arrest. I'm still facing criminal charges. I am the first and only Canadian citizen in this country to be charged with the uh, uh, infrastructure uh, under the Defense Act, uh, interfering with the crucial infrastructure under the Defense Act um, uh, crime, in quote. And yet, as you know, uh, that uh, during my speech, three times I've told people peacefully, this is not about guns and swords. We have to resist them. Stand for your rights, hold the line, but do it peacefully. Jason Kenney, the premier of Alberta, comes on television and he accuses me publicly while the whole thing is still in the courts. And remember, the politicians love to say, oh, I cannot comment. It's in the courts. But they had no problem to slander me. Exactly. and to Excuse me of a crime. He says, uh, uh, Mr. Palowski was inciting people to commit acts of violence, and that's unacceptable. I mean, that's how crooked those people are. The villains, the tyrants, and they need to go. We need to replace them with good men and women that love this country, they're patriotic, and they love the freedom that ultimately doesn't come from the premier, doesn't come from the prime minister. The freedom comes from God. Um Given that, uh, you know, drug dealers and and sex offenders get better treatment in our judicial system than you did, uh, are you going to be seeking damages? 100 percent. I'm going to go after them. I hope that everything, um, the sooner the better, they're going to stay and and we're going to sit down at the table and talk how we are going to move this whole craziness forward because they need to be accountable for what they have done. I'll tell you why. It's not a personal vendetta. If we don't make them accountable, then sooner or later, some other crazy people, other Jason Kenney's or Chandros or uh, Madus or whatever you want to call them, Hinshas or Tom's or Trudeau's will come and will do this to us again. And they will do it again and again. We have to go after them as well. We have to make them accountable. We have to bring back the check and balances, because if we will not do that, I'm telling you, there will be round two, there will be round three until they will wipe us out. That's why this case is so important. And that's why we have to make them accountable. How is your brother David doing? He's doing great. I mean, now he's completely off the hook. I'm still subjected to house arrest and I had to give up like forty, fifty thousand dollars as a bail condition just to be able to come out of hell and be imprisoned in my own house uh, like I am right now. But my brother, David, everything is gone. Like, I mean, he's a free man. Uh, he doesn't have any curfew. He doesn't have any probation officer. I have to still uh, talk to my probation officer. I have to still uh, seek permission uh, from uh, from her if I want to take my kids uh, somewhere, um, if I want to take them to a movie, I have to seek permission. I mean, this is insanity. I have never been charged with a violent offense. I've never been charged with anything. 
all of my charges are related to me doing my job as a pastor. Um, I'm not a criminal. I am a law-abiding citizen. I said that from the very beginning. It was the media that vilified me and the crooked lying politicians that turned me into some kind of a terrorist. And why? Because I kept feeding the poor in the middle of the greatest crisis, because I kept the church open so the depressed and suicidal, hooked on drugs, people can come and, and get a prayer. Like, what is my crime? Because if I am a criminal, let's look at the Sky Palace hypocrisy of the Premier Jason Kenney when he threw a party with whiskey, drinking with his cabinet ministers, bringing all the rules and regulations himself. If I'm guilty, like I said to the judge, Adam Germain, if I'm guilty, if you will find me guilty, then maybe perhaps we can share a cell with the Premier of Alberta because he did the same thing. Uh, what about your colleague, Pastor Chris Scott? Um, I mean, he must be looking at this ruling and, and feeling optimistic as well then. Yeah, Chris Scott is a restaurant owner. He's not a pastor. Ah, uh, I'm sorry. I was thinking of the other uh, pastor. Um, uh, Coates. Um, yes, probably, my apologies. Yes. Yeah, probably you're talking about Coates and um, uh, other pastors. There was few of us in the entire nation, unfortunately, that stood up publicly against this tyranny. And um, and we paid dearly. I mean, he spent, Coates, uh, I think, 30 days. I spent 51 uh, this time. But before I was um, in prison, uh, in jail before with my brother David, as well. And then you've got Stevens, Pastor Stevens. Then you've got my associate pastor, Peter Riker. He also was arrested and criminally charged for officiating an illegal gathering church service. Um, uh, Tobias Thiessen arrested, charged without mercy. Hildebrandt as well. Pastor Rodney from the church in the vine find uh, his wife was found uh, guilty. Uh, $80,000 for what? Like, I mean, seriously, I said to the AHS officers, if you want to inspect our facility, I'm all for it. I, I am a law-abiding citizen. It's just you cannot do this contrary to a criminal code of Canada, Section 176. If you're talking about law, let's follow the law. You're not allowed to do this during the worship service. You're welcome to make an appointment. I'll show you everything, whatever you want to see. I'll tell you everything. Do not do it during the church service, but because that's illegal. But of course, they disagreed um, and they said, we need evidence. Well, I was live streaming everything. They could get the evidence, no problem. I was giving them, if I'm guilty of an offense, here it is. I'm live streaming everything. I'm showing you what I'm doing. And uh, of course, in the end, that's exactly what they did. They used my own videos from the live streaming uh, to persecute me and prosecute me in, in the end. So there was no need for them to come in and invade our place of worship, which historically was always a sanctuary for the people. Historically speaking, even during the Middle Ages, even during the Viking times, the warriors were commanded to leave their swords outside of the door. But here, no, Canadian Gestapo would just march in, intimidate everyone, bring their guns, their uniforms, their handcuffs. Why? Because they're above the law, because the politicians think that they are above the law. So this. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. 
Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. This um, ruling is so important on on all the levels. It sends a message to the villains, be careful because you might be next. Rightfully so. And then it says a me- uh, sends a message to people like you and me that there is hope. There is indeed hope. And uh, again, congratulations, uh, Pastor. And um, we'll uh, continue to watch. And let's hope that these other charges are dropped and uh, you can get back to life completely normal. And then, uh, you know, yeah, go after them. Go after them with everything you've got. Thank you so much for your time, sir. Thank you. God bless you. Pastor Arter Palowski. All right, when we come back, we'll drill down on ESG with an economist from the uh, American Institute for Economic Research. Stay tuned. Let's rejoin the conversation on The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk Saga 960 AM. Hey, welcome. Uh, last uh, or yesterday, actually, um, Jonathan Wellam from Rocklink Investment Partners were, were, was here, and we were talking a little bit about ESG, environmental social governance. Uh, or sometimes known as economic and social corporate governance. And uh, some see this as sort of where the the rubber hits the road in terms of the Great Reset and Agenda 2030, uh, getting into the uh, the corporate boardrooms and uh, really sort of weaponizing the banks, allowing them to punish corporations that don't tick all the boxes when it comes to uh, ESG. So this is how perhaps the Great Reset is going to be enacted. Peter C. Earle has talked about this recently on uh, Tucker Carlson. He's an economist with the American Institute for Economic research. He's an author of The Gold Standard and also a whole series of books on coronavirus, coronavirus and economic crisis, coronavirus and economic recovery, disease modeling, human rights, coronavirus and new hope. And he joins us now. Peter, welcome. How are you? Great. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Uh, So I have a very limited understanding about how ESG works. Can you maybe unpack that a little bit for us? What is ESG? Sure. So ESG is really the most modern iteration of a of a trend which has been in place since the 1960s, which was essentially called um, uh, uh, stakeholdership or, um, or or responsible investing. And basically the idea, the very root idea of this is that companies have an obligation beyond their shareholders and beyond their customers. Uh, you as a company, this theory holds, owes, uh, has an obligation to the local community, towards your suppliers, um, ultimately towards basically anybody who could make a claim toward being affected uh, by your firm. All right. So uh, they've taken that to the what to the nth degree, I guess. I mean, I, we all we, you know, we want our corporate corporations to be good corporate citizens. Uh, and yeah. if they're not, then I guess we get to vote with our dollars and say we're not going to do business with you. But to force that on them. What are your thoughts? Right. So so I agree exactly completely with what you said. The idea itself is not completely anathema. However, it should be on a case-by-case basis. And what's happening now is ever since uh, around 2005 or 2006, the, the United Nations um, sort of adopted this idea of sustainable investing. And um, they really have sort of 
made it uh, they made it not only not only virulent but they've made it militant and um, they've really wanted governments to sort of come down on corporations in their own countries to enforce these things and the most recent version of it probably the most uh, the most weaponized is ESG and ESG stands for environmental social and governance um, which uh, Again, it sort of sounds innocuous on face, the idea that companies should take into account certain social social, uh, social factors, governance, the environment. Um, I'm not really big on the idea. I think that should happen through market purposes. But what it's become is essentially a race to the far left in terms of being the most sort of woke, uh, environmentally conscious and, um, and governance uh, conscious uh, company. And at this point, those goals are basically held equal to, at, at the very least equal to, but usually much higher than profitability or offering goods and services that customers want. Uh, well, am I being accurate when I describe ESG perhaps as the, the mechanism by which maybe the Davos crowd would like to see the Great Reset or Agenda 2030 accomplished? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's 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 all part of this. And what you find is that um, it would be one thing if governments would, were coming down on them. And that, that's bad enough. But what you've had more recently are private firms, um, I guess, in a rush to sort of um, please their masters or however you want to put it. Um, you have large asset managers, which are essentially telling publicly traded companies, we're not going to buy your stock. We're, we're not going to keep your firm um, in our you know asset management firm if you don't adhere to these rules. So that's why you have this sort of rush of all these companies to virtue signal on everything from uh, their, their, their governance practices by forcibly putting people of different genders and maybe different orientations on their boards of directors, which would be fine if they were qualified. But this is simply a sort of a race to uh, to, to, to please uh, um, the, these ideologues um, in, in Washington and in Davos, as you said, and also to, to essentially embrace these very, very uh, far out sorts of policies, which have nothing to do with the way the market works, and it doesn't take into account people's expertise. And you wind up with things uh, happening like happened in Sri Lanka or has been, have been happening in Sri Lanka over the last few years. Yeah. Explain how ESG is is impacting, having this deleterious impact on Sri Lanka's economy. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, uh, Sri Lanka had a lot of problems to begin with. Um, you know, they're, because they're a small country, they rely a lot on foreign currency reserves. So they need to get dollars. Uh, they have their own currency, the rupee, but they need to get dollars to trade in international markets. Um, when COVID, uh, not really COVID, but the COVID uh, lockdowns um, affected them, uh, they didn't get tourist dollars. There weren't a lot of exports. So basically, they were in a very bad place as it was. But in early 2021, a, a 10 year plan to convert agriculture from uh, synthetic to organic fertilizers became an overnight plan. And of course, for whatever reason, I, I don't really understand it, but throughout history, intellectuals and in particular left economists love tinkering with farming. And so in, agric in, in agriculture, you know, there's, of course, um, uh, there's this view among many people that farmers are hayseeds, but they're not. They're experts in what they do. A lot of what they do is based on experimentation and on oral tradition. There's a lot of science, but a lot of it doesn't get written down in books. At any rate, to make a long story and an awful story very short, uh, the move to push uh, and really force uh, agriculture uh, in Sri Lanka to overnight switch from synthetic to organic fertilizer caused an utter collapse 
in, uh, in the agricultural sector and people had, are suffering from malnutrition. The, 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 country, the country had to print money basically to import fertilizers to get something going, which led to a 50 percent year over year inflation. And, and the, the country is just falling apart. It is it's really it's really sort of a, a, a depiction of the arrogance of government in the face of real experts, people who are on the ground doing what they do for generations. Uh, Peter C. Earle, economist with the American Institute for Economic Research, the author of The Gold Standard and a whole series of books uh, on uh, coronavirus, on economic crisis, recovery, disease modeling, human rights and new hope. Uh, we just have about a minute here. I mean, is given that ESG is being adopted by the, the banks, maybe even the World Bank, is, is there any way of stopping ESG, let's say, here in North America? It's a really good question, and I have to tell you, I've thought about this a bit. It's very hard to vote with your feet or with your dollars, really, is what I mean as a customer, if everybody's adopting it. I think, um, I hope this isn't the case, but the one scenario I have in mind that could stop this is, you know, if enough countries and enough companies put um, ideology in front of prices and markets, eventually you're going to have substandard returns. And maybe we need to have a generation or two of really, really bad stock market returns, delayed retirements, people having to return to the workforce in order for uh, uh, the realization that uh, how we got where we are in terms of our standard of living is through prices and markets and not through uh, these cockamamie ideas. Maybe, maybe that's what needs to happen. Well, the Biden administration's uh, shameless redefinition or redefining a recession aside, I think we're going to get. I think we're going to get your wish, uh, Peter. I think we're going to have our metal tested, uh, and maybe deservedly so. Uh, Peter C. Earle, again, Economist, American Institute for Economic Research. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. All right, that's it for me. My thanks to Jody and Declan. I'll be back tomorrow to do it all over again, God willing. I'll speak with you tomorrow at four. Now, don't be late. Until then, I remain unbowed, unbent, unbroken. That's it. That's all. For more Richard Serrett Show, podcasts, blogs, and other stuff, go to saga960am.ca. Stop talking past each other and start talking with each other. We'll see you tomorrow afternoon at 4 on The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk, Saga 960am. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy.